0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now, let's join our guest speaker. You guys ready for the message? Okay, good. Here it is. Um, here we are in First John, so go ahead and turn your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn them out, turn them out, turn them out. First John, we're going to be in the back of the New Testament. If you've been with us before, we've been perusing through line by line, talking, pulling out some goodness, and just really extracting what John's trying to say to us. And so here we are in chapter number two, and we're going to be in verse number seven. So we're making our way. This is good progress. We're making our way through the middle of chapter two, and we're going to cover some ground here today. So just buckle up, get your notes out, open up your heart, ready your mind, because, man, we're going to go through some stuff that, honestly, you're going to walk away thinking that was the best message I've ever heard Besides that one that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount, that was pretty good too. But, but this is the best message that you have ever heard until you come back next Sunday. So let me, let me, uh, read verses 7 through 14. That's a big chunk. 7 through 14. And I, I just want to i want to gear you up before we actually get there. There's two main sections. I want you to look in your Bible right now, because you're not going to be able to see it up on the screen. If you look in your Bible, there's two main sections of 7 through 14. There's a paragraph that, that actually goes from 7 through 11, and it's all uh, pushed together, indentations like all, all the rest of the Bible. But then you get to 12 through 14, and the actual uh, uh, setup, the, uh, the, the indentation and the layout actually gets a little bit different. So you think aesthetically, you think that there's two different sections, but they're one and the same. And I'm going to walk you through how we can tell that they're one and the same, because there's really one, there's one thing that John wants us to get across. And I'll tell you what that is here in a minute uh, through this entire section. That's why we're putting this together. So here we go. Seven through 14. Let's go ahead. And I'm, I'm just going to kind of read it out. So I want you to follow along. Just listen to this word and let it do something in your soul. Here's what he says Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but actually an old commandment. Who, who needs a fresh word from God today? You need something new, but you also want it to have some stability. Uh, you can't just pull up a new truth that everyone's never heard about before. So John's saying, This is going to be good. This is going to be new for you because you need to practice it new. But you also need to know that it's been around for quite some time. It's the old commandment is um, and now he rhymes a little bit here. Check it out. The old commandment is the word that you heard. You like that? Old school John bringing in some rhythm. Verse eight, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, in Jesus. But it's also true in your community. The, the fact that what the, this truth that I'm about to tell you is found in Jesus, but it's also found in your community. And, and that truth is actually dispelling darkness. Darkness is passing away, and the true light is coming, and it's already shining. Verse 9, whoever says that he is in the light hates his brother and still is in the darkness. That's a truth that we heard last time, but he's reiterating. Whoever says he loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, he is actually walking in the darkness. And here it is. He doesn't even know where he's going. He's walking around life aimlessly because the darkness has actually blinded his eyes. Now, here's where the the, the formatting changes. Here's 12 through 14. And I want you to check this out because this is good stuff right here. He has some repetition, some rhythm to it. He says something six times through this next. He says, I am writing to you. 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 Six times he says this phrase, but he actually sections them off in three separate groups. He talks to little children two times. He talks to young adults two times. And he talks to fathers two times. You following? So here we go. I'm writing to you, little children. What do you want to say? Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you fathers, what does he want to say to them? Because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, I'm also writing to you young adults, young men, young women, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you children, and then he goes on, and this is the second part, I'm writing to you little children because you know the father. Let's go on verse 14. I write to you fathers, here's the second time he says this, because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you young adults, this is the last one, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So here we are. That's good. Um, uh, but Brad, let me take it from here. So, so when you read through seven through fourteen, and you actually have this entire area encompassed, you see these two main sections that actually brings out this idea of a new and an old commandment. So here's the question: What's the new and what's the old commandment? I'll give it to you. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this idea down. It's maturity the new and the old commandment is maturity. God wants you to actually be raised up, to be brought up, to be built up into maturity. Why? Because when you're mature in here, how is it expressed out here? Simple love. When you become more mature, you actually express a different facet of love. You start loving people when they don't deserve it. That's a mature love. And the maturest love that we can have, the best expression of maturation we can actually have come out of our heart and our soul is that we would lay down our life for our brother because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You want to know how mature you are? It's not your age, he says. He said, it's not the fact that you're 20. That's not because you're grown up. It's not the fact that you're 30. It's not the fact that you have a job. I'll tell you when you're mature, John says, it's when you can actually love someone else that doesn't love you you can serve them because they're different. You can break barriers of society because they have a different skin color and that doesn't stop you. That's love. And this kind of unity says we need to grow up. We need to grow up. Why? Because that's why Jesus came to give us the power and the Holy Spirit and the word of God to go out and actually make a difference. Not just to be hearers, but doers of the word. So when we when we see this idea of maturity, it's a big deal to God. It's all throughout Scripture. God wants us to be whole. He wants us to be whole so that we can love whenever whenever maturity starts to be developed, love starts to be expressed, which is also true. When immaturity is still here, we're blind and we don't even see the people in front of us. I don't even see the issue. I don't even I don't even know what's wrong with my wife. In fact, I think I do know what's wrong. It's her and it's not me. I know the issue of my kids. They just don't listen to me. I'm wise. They're not. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things like your world literally just was wrapped around this little tiny bubble and you don't like when people pop it. And so I'm going to get to that in a minute because um, if you're an eye doctor, that would actually be called nearsighted. You you have a little bit of myopia, but the, the problem is there's a spiritual condition called nearsighted and you don't see anything outside of your little bubble. And now go to verse number 11, nine through 11. This is what he talks about. He says, the fact is you're stumbling. Other people are stumbling because here's the deal. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. You walk in the darkness and you don't even know where you're going. You're going around like it's literally in the dark. You're walking around aimless. And here's the reason, because the darkness has blinded your eyes. You're nearsighted. You can't even love the people in front of you. You want to know why? It's because you can't even see them. Well, you don't want to go serve the city because you have your own needs and that's where the issue lies. There's still a little bit of immaturity. It's okay. Listen, church, it's okay. It's all right that we have a little bit of immaturity, but can I just tell you what John's saying? Just don't stay there. I love that you're a little kid. I love that you have childlike faith. I love that you are a cute little baby infant, a two-year-old, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Because what's most most unattractive about our society is seeing a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50-year-old Still acting like they're ten, and unfortunately we have that. Our society—I don't know if you know this—but our society was actually going to push the law at one point in time. They may still be entertaining this; I'm not sure. They were going to push the law from having an adult be 18 years old. They were going to try to push it to maybe 23 or 25, because there's still 18 and 25-year-olds who are playing video games and are not taking responsibility, and they're sitting at home. Sorry if I'm stepping on your toes; it's got to do this. So therefore, our society says, Hey, you know what? Stay at home, play video games. Why don't we just push back the actual uh, age from 18 to 25? I got a better idea. I think we should take the word of God, allow it to abide in us, take responsibility and actually start living our lives like it's supposed to be lived. And that's, And that's where, that's where John gets to. We just need to grow up. I love that you're a kid. Listen, I got a three and a six year old. I love them, but you better believe me when the time is right, they're about to be going out of the house. You know what I mean? Anyway, 12 through 14, let me explain the latter half of, of the section so that we can actually understand the first half of this section. So whenever he talks, he, um, remember I told you the formatting is a little bit different. He actually says six times, "I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you," and then he sections them off in three different groups: fathers, young adults, and then also children. So here's our first group. He says to um, to the children, he says two things. He says, um, uh, "You your sins have for, for, been forgiven for His name'sake," and the second thing he says is, "You know the Father." Can you bring that up? There it is. Your sins are forgiven. That's one thing he says. And then the second time he addresses children, he says, you know, the father. Now, listen, there's a point to this that that allows us to see it's it's not a, a physical age that John is actually trying to describe. It's not the fact that you're 10 or a teenager or a 20 years old. He's not talking chronological age because you can be a grown up chronologically, but still be a kid in the age of maturation. And so John is actually addressing this. I'm, just, I'm only going to pull out one point and then you just got to believe me because it's uh, it's in here. In verse 12, if you can go to verse 12, he says, my little children, I'm writing to you this, that word in the English, it's transliterated little children is actually a Greek word called Padilla. Now that same word, little children in the English shows up in chapter two and verse one. So same chapter, it, it happens to be at the beginning of the chapter and here in chapter 12. So you're thinking in English, you can see two things, little children, little children being the same. But John says they're not the same because in the Greek, in the original language, I wrote something different in verse one that I did in verse 12. What he writes here in verse 12 is the the word called Padilla. That word literally means a child who needs to be under instruction, a child who's just orphaned and you just need a parent. A child who doesn't know his right hand from his left and needs to know this is what food is. This is what protection is. This is what love looks like. This is how you get raised up. You're my son. You're my daughter. It's a child who is just immature and it's okay because we all start there. We just can't stay there. Amen. So that's how we know John is actually talking to us in this particular section. So now let's, let's look at what John says Two times to little children. He says, your sins are forgiven and you know the father. Now, why would you write this? Because parents, can I get your attention? If you know anything about raising little kids, you know they're really good at being really bad. They just come out of the womb, and their first words probably "no," you know, because rebellion is, is starting to, to fit you up, and they push boundaries, they they mess stuff up. You give them a little bowl of Cheerios, and they throw them. You know what I'm saying? That's not where that goes. Whatever it is, when they first start growing up, they just mess up. Now, no parent in the right mind is is gonna is gonna be angry at some kid at that age messing up. You want to know why? Because it happens, it happens. But here, let me just tell you, as parents. Here's what we do. We look at our children when they mess up, when they fail, when they're embarrassed, and they look back at you because they know when they've done wrong. They look back at you and they need to know one thing. Are are we okay? Do you still love me? As a father and a mother, after a kid messes up, they're going to look back at you as their parent and just say, how are you going to react? Am I still who you say I am? Am I still here that I break this relationship? So here the father, God says through John, he says, your sins are forgiven. And I, I talked about this uh, last week, but just a quick clarification. And I, I'm going to use the illustration in parenting, in parenting, uh, as a parent, don't ever say to your kid, you're a bad kid, uh, you, you, you're a bad daughter, you're a bad boy. Don't ever say that separate the two. You're for them, but what they what they did was wrong. Buddy, you're a good boy, you're a good girl, but the decision that you made, that was bad. So that if you can pull that back up, that's where the, the delineation actually comes from. Your sins, what you did, that's cleared because of Jesus. But at the same time, I'm gonna raise my kids up and let them know you can't push that boundary, you can't do that, that's not respectable, that's not honoring. I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you the ways. But at the same time, you need to know something. I'm for who you are. I am for who you are. And so every time a kid does something wrong, oh man, I messed up again. Are we okay? And God says, your sins are forgiven. We are definitely okay. Because I dealt with what you did wrong with Jesus. So this is great. And that's how the second thing he says, that's how we get to know our Father that we have a heavenly father that actually is that good that wants to be our father so that we can walk through life knowing that we're loved, appreciate it. Just make sure that we don't stay there. Can I tell you the warning that's all throughout scripture, like in Hebrews six, it says we actually should be moving on from the elementary teachings of God. So if you constantly need to know, are we okay? I need to confess my sins. I messed up again. Please God, forgive me. If that's where you are, you need to move on from the elementary things. You need to move on from pure spiritual milk so that you can go eat some meat, chop it up yourself, buddy, chew it up, get some teeth. I want you to grow up, take some responsibility. So that you can actually be who God's called you to be. I love that you start there, just don't finish there. Here's some of the things that we do as children in the faith with our sin. Uh, we lie about it. We, we do something wrong, we get embarrassed, we fail, and we just outright lie. Or we blame someone else, or we just tuck it away and we hide it. Did that happen? (laughs) No, that didn't, that didn't really, that didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. We just outright deny it, or we just diminish its significance. And the example that I've been using is a a guy who uh, just expresses um, what he's been up to. Well, uh, marriage isn't, you know, awesome, but, you know, whose marriage is? So I've just been talking to this girl at work. It's really not a big deal. You know, we work together. Whoa, stop, stop. You're diminishing the significance of what you're tapping into right now. Bro, you're married, and you're talking to somebody at work? as you're as a friend, dude to dude, man to man, I need you to do something. Uh, a, listen to me. Stop. You need to quit your job. You need to get a new department. Do what you need to do, but get away from that because the, the person that you have at home, your wife, is better than the one you're talking to, and she deserves better. Secondly, if you're not going to listen to me, I need you to meet me at 3 a.m. at the alley, and then we can talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's how guys deal with things. Uh, words aren't working. Meet me in the back alley at you know, 3 a.m. And we'll figure this thing out because you will never be doing that again. That's what guys need to hear. We just need to put some action to it. However, if we're still meddling with our sin and we're still lying about it, we're still blaming others. We're still hiding. We're just children in the faith and we need to grow up. We need to grow up so that we can actually raise up some others who can grow up themselves. And so when we see this, it's amazing what happens. I mean, uh, listen, let me give you a story. Because as, as kids, it's funny, but when we're adults, it's not. Uh, not so long ago, like literally not so long ago, we were in the backyard. And um, so is is myself, it was my wife, and it was my three-year-old son. It was just the three of us because uh, my daughter, she's six, my daughter had gotten picked up by my mother-in-law. So they had been gone for like maybe an hour or two before that. So it was just the three of us. It was my wife, myself, and my three-year-old son. I was cooking on the grill and my son was going to play over in the dirt, you know, kicking over rocks, digging stuff, getting dirty, doing what boys do, you know. And uh, so I was going over to play with him and then I'd come back and check the grill, come play with him, and just kind of go back and forth. But there was that one time where I was going over to, to go cook and my son had gone over to play he was there for a little bit and my my wife had walked up to my son parents you're going to love this and uh, and here's what happened so he stopped what he was doing he got up and he and he positioned himself like this he looked at my wife knowing that guilt was all over this thing. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about? He just, he just looked like, it was almost like he just wanted to be upright to be like, I am blameless before you, you know, but, but as a parent, you just see right through that. And so, so my wife just comes up to my son and he goes up like this and he looks at my wife and, and the first thing out of his mouth and he, he said, I didn't do it. Emory did. <laughs> And my wife, my wife chuckled, and she goes, "Buddy, Emery hasn't been here for hours. You can't blame that on her. She's not even here. So now we're trying to teach our son to lie better." No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So, so this is what we do. As three-year-olds, we lie about it, we blame others, we hide it, and it's funny. Uh, listen, you're learning at school. Just don't, don't ever do that again. You know what I mean? But, but when we look at this, we have to say, okay, at three, it's okay. There's grace for that. But not at 18, at 25. I mean, you can't be practicing the same thing. Don't touch the stove. You can't be 30 years old and still burn yourself on the stove because you're walking in darkness. (laughs) I've been warning you for years. You're hurting yourself and other people. I just need you to stop. All God wants us to do is grow up to mature. Why? So that we can have the ability to love one another. Amen? young adults, let's move on. Young adults, young adults, young adults. So young men. So John talks to young men and he says three things to him. Here's what he says. Because you have overcome the evil one. He says this twice. And verse 14, he says, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. He says three things. Listen, because you have overcome the evil one. He says that twice and you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Now, if you know anything about young adults, young men, young women, they're making some of the biggest decisions of their life around the age of 18 to 30. And they're making decisions on who to hang out with, who to marry, where to go to school, if I should graduate, should I go to college? And not only that, where should we live? And and all that stuff that literally makes those decisions from 18 to 30 that are going to project the rest of your life that are being made in a very immature age. So what do you need to know? What do you need to know when you're a young adult? is that you've moved past the elementary idea that your sins are forgiven. Yes, I know I have a place in this family. I know I'm secure. I know I'm a son. I know I'm a daughter. Uh, Let's move on. But what do you need to hear? Because what you're projecting as a young adult, as a teenager, and 20, 30-year-old, is that you have it all together. When you're a young adult, you're like, Hey, I'm I'm good. I'm strong. I'm young. I'm vibrant. I'll fall, but I'll get back up again. Where are you going to go to school? Well, here's where I'm going to go to school. And this is what I'm going to do. This is what my life is going to be like. You ever have one of those people who are young adults and they look at parents and they say this, when I have kids, my kids not doing that. And so as, as wise parents, we look back at the young adults who say that. And you're like, just have you a couple, just have you a couple. And then say that, you know what I mean? Like, don't judge when you're not in that season. You have no idea. I'm just trying to survive, bro. (laughs) Coffee and sleep is the only thing I'm trying to go off of. And so when you go through a young adult, you think you know everything. You think you're strong, but John knows better. This is the most insecure time that you've ever had in your life. You have so much inadequacy inside that you're trying to let everybody else know that you're strong, but you're not. So John says, you are strong. He wants to speak to who you are. You are strong. But can I tell you something? There's a clarifier here. There's a comma. You are strong because of what God says about you, not what the world tells you, not what man says, what God says, not the popular opinion. Man's opinion doesn't have anything on this. So when you get to this point, he says, you're strong. You need to know that. He goes, yeah, I know that. No, you don't. You're strong strong. You are strong because God says you're strong. You're a son because God says you're a son. And if God is for you, come on somebody, who can be against you? Now the world is against you at that point in time. But you want to know what happens when you start walking in your true identity? You get rid of the insecurity that's inside of you and you start walking in a place. You start walking like Jesus did. You start walking and talking with authority. And here's what happens. You, you don't like, um, you you don't, you don't, you, know, you don't pedal around. You, you don't tiptoe into a room. You walk into a room. Now I know who's here. I'm not a big deal. I'm humble, but the God who is inside of me, he's the big deal. And he's called me to go take this ground. And so that why the significance of this, check this out, because you have overcome the evil one. So you you don't step just to step. You actually know the position of Satan. His head is under your heel. So you don't just pedal. You stop. This is the way that you're walking. As young adults, we actually need to know this word abides in me. I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to have a purpose. I'm going to know where I'm going because that's what Jesus did. He fixed his face like Flint. Jerusalem, the cross is where I'm going. I don't know what you guys say, but this is my purpose. To die for you to lift you back up. That's what we need. An unresolved purpose. God, why am I here? That's the question of young adults. John says, I will tell you, you're going to overcome darkness. You are a part of a bigger picture. It's not just you. It's you and an army of other people. So stay strong. You are more than conquerors. Get in the word and allow his identity to rest Inside of you, until you believe it. And then he talks to fathers. This third group, he talks to fathers. He talks to them twice, but he says the same thing. He says, you know him who is from the beginning. He says that two times. One in verse 13, and one in verse 14. I believe he, he simplifies he, he just scrapes all the other excess off. And he, and he doesn't say a lot of things to children. He doesn't say a lot of things to young adults. When he gets to the fathers, he said, I just have one thing to tell you. Because one thing is important. Do you remember that Jesus said? Mary, Mary, listen. There's one thing that's important. Doing things is fantastic, but being with me is the one thing that nobody can take away. And so here he speaks to fathers, mothers, spiritual parents. And he says this, one thing is important, that you know, fathers. And I believe in this one encouragement, this one truth. He actually lines up with great simplicity and with great resolve. John says, this is the purpose in which I want you to walk. And what is it? It's simple, that you would walk with God from the beginning until the very end. You want to know the greatest part about elders, about uh, fathers, about grandparents, is that they share stories with us to a younger generation that we can learn from. Not necessarily stories just about how to budget. I'm talking about stories of how to believe God. Stories to actually guide you and how God has guided them. I want to hear John's, I want to be around a campfire and hear John actually talk about the stories of walking with Jesus. Because John can honestly say, I'm a father because I've known him from the beginning and I'm still walking. I'm still walking. You know, some of the greatest heritage, some of the greatest legacy that fathers will ever leave isn't what they do. It's what the people that they raised up, what they can accomplish. See, it's totally different. As a young adult, your legacy is what you can be involved in. It's your name. It's your fame. Fathers are past that. Fathers and mothers say, you know, no, no, My legacy and what I'm going to give to the next generation is raising other people up so that they can accomplish more than they ever dreamed of. And I did that. I helped. I loved them. And I served so that they can do that. Let me put it like this. Young adults want to actually be on the front lines. They want guns. They want swords. They want to go fight. They want to go make a difference. Fathers actually take a step back and say, you know what fathers do? They actually raise up soldiers. They raise up warriors. They raise up one's who will go in the front lines to say, that's my legacy. So if you remember the story, Moses is up on a hill. Come on, somebody. Moses is up on a hill while Joshua is fighting down in the valley. Joshua's on the front line with blood all around and swords and fighting an army and battling. And he thinks, man, it's my great skill that's actually determined the victory and the concourse and, and that we have this overcoming. But all the while, the only reason that the army was winning is because Moses, when nobody else was looking, was up on the hill, raising his hands. The only reason you're going to win is because I'm raising my hands in victory and surrender to God. So a younger generation can accomplish something that you didn't even know was attached to the ones older than you. So here John is saying there's a rich heritage inside the church. You want to know what it is that an older generation can actually connect with a younger generation in unity to make a difference out into the world. This is his hope he wants you to grow up be mature so that you can start loving one another love actually covers a multitude of sins. love doesn't keep a record of right and wrong love breaks down walls that arguing never could love gives you access to people's lives in which logic and facts never had the chance Love serves and washes feet. Love breaks the dividing lines. Love conquers whenever we are failing in life. And you can't love like this until you start to realize the need and the cost of maturity. And John says, I hope that you walk around, that you grow up and you're not nearsighted because when you get nearsighted, you only see the things around you. Did you you know that infants, like right when they're born, little babies only have an eyesight from about 2 inches to about 18 inches? That's the only thing they can see because that's the only thing they need to see. This is where they are. This is their life. The only thing that they need to know is that I've got you. I'm the father. I'm the mother. You're taken care of. As an infant... This is the only eyesight that they need. They need to know who loves them. But as infants we we can't stay there. As children, we we can't stay there. Because when he says, I want you to grow up, but some of you have grown up, but you still are nearsighted, so nearsighted the dark things that you're walking in are just allowing you to be blind. You don't even see the other people. You don't even see the issues. You don't even see the problems. You don't even see what you could have access to if you just opened up and see. And John says, I want that for you. I want that for you. More than anything, I want you to be able to love. You want to know why? Because loving someone sets you free from anything else. It's amazing. You don't, you don't feel suppressed. You don't feel like you're in jail. Loving someone sets you free. And Jesus says, and when I set you free, you will be free indeed. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.